If you're new with us today, we're, uh, we're continuing a series called Why the Church? Why does the church do what it does? Um, and today we're up to uh, this question, why do churches have preachers? That's oh, a good question. We, we have preaching every time we get together on a Sunday morning. Churches do it. Sometimes it's short and other times it's long. Um, but I want to just pause for a minute. Last week we looked at uh, singing in church and there's kind of a weirdness about public singing in Australian culture but I want to suggest to you today that it's not weird to go somewhere and have someone give you an address or someone talk and you listen to them. It, uh, it actually happens all over the place. Uh, this week I um, turned on and some of you go Pete needs to get a life but I turned on and I watched a bit of the press club address this week right, which was uh, yeah, I know, some of you are murmuring already. It's like, who watches that? Well, Peter does every now and then. He just watches 10 minutes. And this week, they were talking about submarines. <laughs> and there was someone up, up the front, because the Australian submarine fleet, I understand, needs to be renewed. And they're working out how they're going to spend all these billions of dollars and what kind of subs are they going to get? Are they going to build them in Adelaide? Are they going to buy them from France? And all the problems with that. And what happens at the press club? Well, someone stands up and gives a talk. That's what they do. Uh, You go to university and uh, you have a lecture. Um, And and that's where a lecturer stands up and talks for a while. Uh, You've got valedictorian addresses at universities. You've got graduations where people do talks. Teachers in schools stand up and talk for periods of time in their classes. It happens in Parliament sometimes. And other times they just yell at each other. But they do do public addresses in Parliament. Um, we can even go, I mean, it's been cancelled th- this time around, but the, the uh, Melbourne Comedy Festival is a bunch of speeches, isn't it? It's people getting up and doing a talk, doing a funny talk. We have speeches at weddings. There's people talk all over the place, so it's not that unusual that you would come to church and you'd hear someone talk. Um, we speak publicly to educate people to persuade people, to entertain people. We speak publicly for ceremonial reasons. Uh, There's lots of public speaking that goes on. Even in the age of uh, the internet, uh, we have uh, have not relegated um, public addresses. Uh, One of the areas uh, in terms of technology that's surging in popularity is podcasts. Surging. In fact, I was listening to uh, uh, people talk about um, uh, Spotify and how their popularity is surging because of podcasts. What, what's a podcast? Well, it's kind of a public talk. It's kind of like the old AM radio where you can listen to people spout about what they think about different topics. Um, they may not be speaking in person, but they're talking and we are listening. Oratory delivery has been a significant part of human culture for many, many years. When we come to church on a Sunday... It happens. We call it preaching. What is it? Why do we do it? That's what we're going to look at today. Now, a quick caveat. Uh, Lots has been written about preaching. Lots and lots and lots over like years and years and years. And I'm just going to give you a Cook's tour kind of snapshot over about 30 minutes today. That's uh, what I'm shooting for. So if, if you want to do some of this reading, you can go for it. All right, and you might go, well, Pete missed this bit and that bit, and that's correct. He did, because he could probably write a whole thesis on a small part of it. 
because there's so much stuff out there and scripture actually talks about a lot of it. But just want to give you a uh, Cook's tour of it. Now, here's the first one. Uh, preaching in church. Um, straightforward. Jesus preached. There you go. There's your first one. Let me uh, show you a couple of scriptures about this. When Je- this is Matthew 11. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. So Jesus was a preacher. A pretty awesome one. In fact, without any hesitation, I would say to you, he was the best preacher ever. But when he... I mean, now what's interesting about that is, when, is when he gets crucified right there's a handful of people when he gets crucified so one of the things at the very least and this is not even one of my points didn't even write it down this is just for free all right one of my one of my points here is uh good preaching doesn't necessarily mean you always have a big crowd now jesus intentionally sometimes when he had big crowds he would say things that were pretty offensive and kind of it's like oh way to clear the crowd jesus but he was a really, really good preacher. Let me uh, go on in that same passage. Now, when John the Baptist, he was in prison, heard about uh, the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples to Jesus and said, said to, uh, to his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them and blessed is the one who is not offended by me now jesus is about preaching he does a lot of preaching and what we've actually got in this in this verse is the greek word behind preaching here has to do with heralding a herald is someone who's an official who's sent to proclaim an official message and this message is good news. That's what's going on here. Um, one commentator said, In the ancient world, the herald was a figure of considerable importance, a man of integrity and character. He was employed by the king or state to make all public proclamations. That is the idea behind Jesus preaching here. But you notice Jesus is also teaching. And so there seems to be this intermingling of teaching and preaching because Jesus is doing some general kind of instruction, maybe some moral instruction here as well. Here's another text that talks about uh, Jesus preaching from uh, Luke chapter 4. Uh, and when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place and the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Now the Greek word behind uh, preaching in this passage has to do with telling, announcing and persuading. That there's some good news to actually talk about. Um, not as much about the herald side of things, but more about there's some good news to actually uh, talk about here. Now, I need to stop for a moment and think about how telling good news influences the way that you talk about things. It probably shouldn't be boring, should it? If you've got good news to tell, it probably shouldn't be boring. You should actually be happy about it and be pretty pumped about it. And I would just ask you, just as a self-reflection today, how happy are you at telling other people about Jesus? Because it's good news, isn't it? It was last time I checked. 
wasn't it? You don't sound that excited, but it's actually really good news. And, and, and if it's really, really good news and you really, really believe that it's good news, it should sound like it. <laughs> I was talking to uh, someone yesterday and um, it's, it's, a, it's a long story and I don't want to go into it, but um, I don't know whether you've ever been in, um, there's some parts of Christianity where you can go and engage with it and they kind of, they argue how right their point of view is, but you get to the end of it and you kind of think, uh, now I've got to do it because it's right. Do you know what I mean? Like you, you get to the end and you go, I don't even want to do that. But you just twisted my arm and proved to me that it's right. Now I have to go after it. Now, I, I think if the gospel, if the truth about what Jesus has come to earth to do is good news, then somehow even the hardest news in the Bible somehow has got to be good. <laughs> and that's, that's, I think, like just being transparent with you, that is an area that I've grown in as a preacher. I think early on in, uh, I don't want to call it my preaching career, but since I've been preaching, you know, I'd go, yeah, let's get the really hard stuff and sock it to them between the eyes, you know, and just people would leave. And I remember one older man in the church I preached at, he goes, yeah, that was really good. He, he said to my dad, he goes, I felt like I got beat up a bit, but it was really good. And I'm just going, well, there's a side to that that might be helpful, but if it doesn't end up sounding good somehow at the end, have, 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 have you really been faithful to the good news it, it just has to doesn't it even in some of those you know that we spent two and a half years at the start of the project in hebrews the book of hebrews and there are some fierce warning passages in the book of hebrews like really really fierce you know and as i reflect back on it now i think if i preach those again do you know what i'd do i'd wrestle harder to somehow see where it was good and bring that out so it actually was received as though it's really good. Do you talk about Jesus as though he is really, really good? You Christians do, don't they? You know, I'd, there's a bunch of evangelism training um, that people do, and I think evangelism training is good. But I also think that evangelism training is a sign that we have, at least to some extent, we've failed in the church. Because you know why? The best evangelists, the best tellers of good news are people who don't have any training. Because <laughs> they taste it, they know it. They know how good this stuff is. It's like, I've just got to go and tell you. It's, it's the, um, you know, you probably heard the phrase, it's one beggar telling another beggar how to find, where to find bread. You know, that's, um, that's us. So, does your talking about Jesus to other people, does it sound good? Because um, every sermon somehow needs to find a way for it to sound good. Because uh, preaching is about preaching good news. Let's uh, go to uh, Acts 10. Jesus commanded people to preach. So Jesus preaches, Jesus commands people to preach. Uh, command people to preach. This is Acts 10, 39 42. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. This is Peter. And he commanded us to preach to the people, us as the apostles, preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. Tell people 
announce, persuade of the good news, you're sent to do it. Now, who are you meant to preach to? This is, the, uh, this is where it starts to get a little bit interesting, right? If it wasn't already. Uh, we go to Romans chapter 10, verse 13 to 15. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone? Preaching. Oh, this is interesting, right? Who, who are these preachers to be preaching to? Christians or non-Christians? Non-Christians. You see that? And I don't know whether... I mean, if you did a study on uh, the, the idea of preaching in the New Testament, by sheer tonnage, overwhelmingly, the preaching that is meant to be happening is not to people in churches. It's actually meant to be to people outside of churches. People who don't even know Jesus. Now that's interesting, isn't it? You know, this is Romans 15, 20. Paul says, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named. Now that's interesting. Like as I was working on it this week, I'm just thinking, interesting. You know, on the one hand, the, the most common form of preaching that we think of is Sunday morning church. But in a classical, basic kind of sense, in the New Testament, the most common form of preaching is telling non-Christians about the gospel. Kind of feels like the opposite. <laughs> so mostly when we think about preaching, we probably don't think much about unsaved people. Mostly we think about preaching in the local church, whereas in the Bible it's actually the complete opposite. Now you could ask this question, if we're preaching on Sundays mostly to the converted, then why do we call it preaching if most of the preaching in the Bible is to the unconverted? Interesting question. You know, and I think... Um, I found John Piper to be really helpful. If you want to get into the details of his argument, um, he's got a great book on preaching called uh, Expository Exaltation. Now, one of the ways out of this, um, I think, is to say, well, okay, well, we do church on a Sunday morning and sometimes people come that don't know Jesus. And I go, well, yeah, okay. Well, you might be able to just get around that a little bit. But I, don't, I still don't think that's what we see in the Scriptures. I think there's more in the Bible for us than that. Uh, I guess the question for me, I think, is uh, do we actually see places in the Bible where preaching is happening in the church? And uh, I think the answer to that is yes, we do. So let me show you a couple of those. Uh, one is in Romans chapter 1, verse 13 to 15. I, did, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. This is the church in Rome. I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you, also who are in Rome. So this is one of your little kind of overlap passages where you just go, okay, all right, well, this is not strictly speaking to unsaved people. Here's uh, probably the most critical one, arguably the most critical one out of 2 Timothy 3, if that's a little small for you, you can uh, look it up yourself. Verse 16 to chapter 4, verse 4. All scripture, Paul writes to Timothy, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, 
equipped for every good work, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers to see their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Now, what's, what's Paul saying? I think Paul's clearly saying here that there's preaching that happens in the church. And it ought to happen in the church. Now, one of the other things I think that he's talking about here is this kind of uh, interaction between teaching and preaching. And I think one of the things that's actually going on here is there's a, there's a sense of, of, uh, of uh, preaching that act- to the unsaved and telling of the good news that needs to find its way into the church. It needs to infect the way that we do things in the church. Um, there, there is a difference between a university lecture and a Sunday morning sermon, isn't there? Now, I, I am not standing up this morning and just putting some information down. It's like, hey, well, you can just take it or leave it if you want it. There's more going on there. Have you, have you noticed that? That's, there's more going on in our preaching at the project than just I'm putting some information before you and you can take it or leave it. You know, one is about presenting information. The other one is about, well, you just need to be persuaded. You need to be called into something. There's something that's actually going on. One of them you can kind of give or take it. And the other one is essential. You need to feel it and you need to believe it. This, um, this whole idea between, of, of the intertwining nature of uh, teaching and preaching is... Um, Oh, you can see it through the uh, New Testament, Matthew 11, verse 1. We just read this before. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. You can't just preach because there's a content to the things that you preach that you're calling people to respond to. Acts uh, 15.35, Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. You know, 1 Timothy 5 verse 17, about elders in the church, that the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honour, especially those who labour in preaching and teaching. You can see this uh, intermingling going on for Paul here in his instructions to Timothy. You know, it's reasonable that teaching and preaching are intertwined because you need instruction to respond to God's message. You need both. Teaching is going to need to happen, but we don't want to end up in a place where it's just mere information. <laughs> you know, you can't in the church just do teaching and just go, you can give or take it. There's a herald side to it, all right? There's a herald piece, there's a persuasion piece. And notice in um, verse 2 here, actually verse 1 and 2 of chapter 4 there, just in that, that middle section, um, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus um, to preach the word. Charge to preach. See, see this, is that, this is that kind of idea of uh, being sent with a message to preach. And here's the essence of the goodness of the message that we've got to preach is, uh, is the gospel, isn't it? It's the truth about what Jesus has actually done for us. What's, what's the gospel? Well, God, there's a standard that we just haven't met. And Jesus has come and he's called us to repent and to turn to him. Or we'll, uh, we'll suffer the, uh, 
the just punishment that our sin deserves. But there's, there's a grace, there's a gospel that God has actually um, put in action for us. There's a way for us to get out from that and actually be connected to God himself. There's a gospel shape, um, I think, even to stories. You know, you, you go to the movies and what you actually see in the movies is kind of a gospel shape. Have you noticed that? You go along, everything starts out really good, then it starts getting bad, there's a bad guy, and then there's a good guy that comes along. What does a good guy do? good guy kind of gets involved, the situation gets more and more intense, and usually the good guy ends up having, or the good girl, ends up having to sacrifice themselves, and they do it, and then everything kind of returns back to this happy place. That's, that's a gospel shape, you know? Not only does sermons, not only does preaching need to contain the gospel where we tell people and remind people about what God has done in various ways, but I think sermons even need to have a gospel shape. Um, I'm letting you in on the uh, secrets here, right? But uh, I learned this from uh, Tim Keller a number of years ago. Um, and this is a bit of a Sondergill paraphrase. And this kind of sits in behind a lot of my preaching. It's like there's three main parts, Right? The first part is, here's what God wants you to do. Second part is, you can't do it. Third part is, here's how Jesus helps you to do it. You see that? That is actually a gospel shape. So not only will good preaching actually have the gospel in it, but I think good preaching has a gospel shape. And I would encourage you, even if you're a community group leader, that you could design your nights to have a little bit of a gospel shape as well to it. A gospel rhythm, as it were. All right. Number two. The focus of preaching. What is the focus of preaching? Well, we'll go to 2 Timothy 4 verse 1. So basically the first point was Jesus preached. Jesus commanded other people to preach. Preaching was by and large to unsaved, but it made its way into the church because we want to have that kind of proclamation of good news to unsaved people filter into the way that we actually do preaching in the local church i want to actually be excited about it second one what is the focus of preaching in the church Uh, second timothy 4 verse 1 i charge you in the presence of god and of christ jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom preach the the word so word should be the focus of preaching Uh, Jesus did this. You go to uh, Mark chapter 2, verse 1 to 2. And when Jesus returned to Capernaum, after some days it was reported that he was at home and many were gathered together so there was no more room, not even at the door, and he was preaching that word to them. Then a paralytic gets healed. Now what would this word be that Jesus is preaching here? Anyone like to have a punt at that? Yeah, maybe. But if we're talking about preaching scriptures, what scriptures would it be? Maybe. But we don't have the New Testament at that point. What, what would it be? It'd be the Old Testament, wouldn't it? I mean, it's probably bringing all those things into it, but it'd be the Old Testament, probably. We're talking about preaching the Word. Um, now, I'll ask you a weird question. What, what, is the, what would be the significance? You don't, you don't have to answer this. Just answer this to yourself. Um, what would be the significance of the Word of God? 
Just think about it for a minute. Now, why is that a weird question? I think the reason why it's a weird question is because if God said something, it would just be significant and you didn't need reasons for it. You don't need reasons for it. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, you, you would just want to listen. Like, one of the weird things, I think, and if you, if you don't love Jesus, I think this is... I'd love for you to kind of um, click in on this one, but I, I just think one of the weird things is when people say that they believe in God and they just don't do anything about it. And the reason why I think it's weird is like, if you believed in God, that there was a supreme being over everything, would you not want to know what, he's, what he actually thinks? <laughs> like, it doesn't make any sense to me that you'd believe in this supreme sovereign being and then not care about what he thinks. And you know, when God says something, you're actually hearing about what God thinks. And, the, and just at a very kind of rudimentary, basic level, it's like, why wouldn't you want to be attuned to that? That seems to me to be the most common sense thing that you could do for the rest of today is to be attuned to what God says. More than anything else. It's like, oh, well, my husband's really upset with me. Right? Or my wife's getting on my case. She keeps complaining about stuff. Or my boss is a real pain in the neck. It's like, yeah, okay, there's things that you need to be tuned into. But I tell you something, if God speaks, that would be the thing that you would just want to tune into the most. By definition, if he is the center of everything, then what he thinks and what he says matters more than anything else. More than SCOMO. More than the health authorities telling you about the coronavirus. You just want to be tuned into that. Is anyone with me? Like you just do. You know, and as I was prepping this, I asked, I wrote that question down. I thought, oh, that's an interesting one. Why would God's word matter? And I just go, well, um, we probably shouldn't even need to talk about it. But um, let, me just, um, let me just help you a little bit with that because the scriptures are the word of God and in... Uh, the passage that we uh, read before from 2 Timothy, there's a direct connection between preaching the word and what the word is. Uh, and that's why they, they go together. Uh, what is the power of this word? Well, uh, just a few small things. First, well, it just brings life. And you just go, where? Just, well, just everywhere. <laughs> everywhere like you. Like you. Genesis 1, you. Creation lorikeets, huntsman spiders, aardvarks, and my favourite, the meerkats. Always looking around and never seeing anything. <laughs> Isaiah 55 says this. Um, it says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The dry bones, some of you know this from Ezekiel 37, the dry bones come to life because of the word of God. In John chapter 1, we find out that it was the word of God, Jesus himself, uh, through whom everything was made. You know, uh, Philippians 2 verse 16, the encouragement is hold fast to the word of life. If you became a Christian, it's because God said stuff and you believed it. <laughs> and you turn 
from your sin, God's word brings life. And some of you probably at times just go, oh, man, why is my life so lame? Why is it so? It's just dead, man. Like the shine is off 2020. And it's just dead. And I would say to you, well, are you, are you engaging with the one whose words bring about life and vitality? Are you? Do you listen to his stuff? Do you read it? You know, don't... Well, you can come and complain to me, but I want to say, don't come and complain to me about how your life has no vigour or vitality if you're not reading scripture and you're not listening to what God says. I just go, duh. <laughs> of course it wouldn't. Okay, that's, that's, that's how it works. That's how it rolls. Second thing, God's word straightens us. Some of you are going, are you saying I'm crooked? I'm, yes, I am. I am saying you're crooked and you need straightening. It's the 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, correction, training in righteousness. You've got to go straight. God's word teaches you to go straight. Uh, Hebrews 4 um, speaks of the word of God in this way. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God's word straightens us. God's word is the sword of the spirit. This is Ephesians 6, verse 17. You just go, okay, well, tell me. All right, and the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity. How does he like to do stuff? Well, he just likes to use the Bible. Just go, yeah, but like other stuff. It's like, well, he might do some other stuff, but mostly he just likes to use the Bible. And it's like, no, come on. Like, tell me some strategies, some stuff. Well, look, he can just do whatever he wants. He's a person. And he's good and he's sovereign, he's in control, but most of the time he just likes to use the Bible. That's the weapon of choice for the Spirit. He loves it and he loves to use it. Important. Here's the fourth one God's Word is uh, the vehicle through which God speaks to us, God speaks to us through it. Now, this can be a pretty heady debate in, um, in Christendom at times. And, and it's the, the debate about how does God speak to people, right? Does he, you know, like God spoke to me. He said something to me. Um, now, I think that the Spirit can do that. But do, you, do you know, like for 100% every day of the week, no questions asked, no doubt. Whenever you read the Bible, God talks to you. Like, lock it away. It's done. And I would say to you, this would be the testimony of my life, is about 99% of God speaking to me happens. My dad always taught me that when you read the Bible and you pray, you should have your... Bo- sorry, when you pray, you should have the Bible open and you should interact with God as you read Scripture. And have a conversation with him. And that seemed weird to me at the start, but that's what I do. I, I will read something in the Bible and God will, the Spirit will start to apply it to me and I'll start to talk to him about that very thing. And then I'll read a little bit more. And you'll go, how many chapters do you read today, Peter? 
Uh, maybe one. I mean, I obviously do Bible study outside of that, but maybe one. And it's like, what are you doing? Well, I'm just hanging out in there and I'm talking to him about stuff and I want him to talk to me about stuff. And, you know, I, I just expect he's going to be active in the things that he says to me through Scripture. And, you know, that is my testimony. I would say to you that, that that's just the way that I read Scripture. And I would encourage you to do that. I'm a sucky prayer in terms of just sitting down and closing my eyes and, you know, I might, you know, you know Ann says that I've got undiagnosed ADD, but um, I'd, I could, I'm flat out making 30 seconds of prayer like that, right? But if I'm sitting in front of Scripture, can I actually be having this conversation where he's talking to me and I'm talking to him? Yeah, and we can go on for a long time doing that. Um, and I would encourage you to learn that. And if you want a book to read about that, there's a really good book by Eugene Peterson called Eat This Book. Um, and uh, you should have a read because it teaches you about how to meditate and to chew over Scripture. Sometimes I think we've, uh, when we look back at the way people have been taught to deal with Scripture, it's people have been taught to deal with it like it's um, content that you need to consume alone. And so we kind of get into it and we... We just want to consume content and know more stuff without actually making it really personal when we're doing that. So it's not either or. It's, um, it's just bigger. So we need to preach in a way that sounds like proclamation, announcement, celebration, affirmation and wonder. We need to preach in ways that focus on the word and there needs to be a compulsion to it. You know, there needs to be kind of some real kind of energy to it. Now, 1 Corinthians 9 verse 16, Paul writes, Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Like you just hear this thing where he's just going, I'm just compelled to do this thing. And that's kind of me a bit. That's how I feel. And this sense of compulsion is kind of the essence, I think, of, uh, of real preaching. You know, I'm not standing up on Sunday mornings to offer you morally neutral truths that you've got to work out whether you're going to agree with or not. Um, there's a sense in which true preaching in the church calls for people to make a decision. Now, what's interesting about this is um, sometimes people don't like people calling them to make a decision. Has anyone noticed that? Come on, you all have. Some of you are going, yeah, I know, that's been me. Um, and I'll, I'll be... I'll be transparent with you. I get bummed sometimes with some of the passages I have to preach on. All right? I do. Because I don't like being the bearer of bad tidings. Even in spite of it needing to be energised by the gospel, to give you people the truth that I know is going to cut across the way that you're doing life is not necessarily a pleasant thing for me. You know, my, my uh, younger days... I probably got some kind of sick satisfaction out of it. But not now. I just don't. You know? It's like you come to church, you go, oh, I think Pete enjoyed slapping us around. It's like, no, Pete never enjoys slapping you around. I don't get a kick out of it. But one of the scriptures that anchors me as a preacher is Luke 6.26 where Jesus says this. He says, Woe to you when all people speak well of you for so their fathers did to the false prophets. You can be true to who God is and what he's called the preacher to do. You know, Sometimes you're just going to have to stand up and tell people things that they don't like. 
You know, I've, I've often thought that if everyone likes you, you're probably not saying all the things that God wants you to say. And I've got this other saying now. I'll just throw this one out. You know the other one, uh, you can't please all the people all the time? I've got a new one. It's like you can't please anyone all the time. <laughs> Which I reckon is true. You just can't. But uh, you have it from me that uh, when I preach, I'll say the things that I think God wants me to say. And I'll do my best to make sure that what I say fits in with Scripture. Um, and I just promise you, it's not always going to sit well with you. <laughs> okay? Now, I always want to be happy in, a, in the sense that I want it to sound good and for it to be good news. But uh, sometimes it's going to be hard. All right, here's where I'm going to finish. I want to uh, rip through some practical realities. So two different sides. Just want to let you in on some ways that preachers can preach and then finish by here's some things that you can do to make sure when you show up uh, anywhere where there's going to be preaching that you can uh, have your heart ready for it. Uh, some, some thoughts about that. So basically, um, look... You can have more categories. I've picked three. I think that these are kind of the three kind of main categories of preaching that you can see in churches. And what I'm going to do is I'll just put up on the screen kind of some of the advantages and the dangers of them. Uh, just run through them really quick. If you've got any more questions about these, uh, you're welcome to um, come and talk to me. First one there is uh, expository. So expository values the whole of Scripture. It teaches people how to read and study Scripture contents, literature types, and the authority of the message actually comes from the text and not from the preacher. So expository is like taking a book of the Bible and just working through a book of the Bible kind of verse by verse, okay? Uh, we do that. We do that a lot. We don't do it all the time. Like right at the moment, we are not in the middle of an expository sermon series because we're not working through a book of the Bible. You would have noticed we've ducked all over the place this morning. Um, the big idea behind expository preaching is that the meaning of the text form the forms the direction of the message. Okay, Now that's really good. There's a lot of really good reasons for doing it. One of the things which you wouldn't even be aware of, probably, you probably just go, oh, they just duck and weave all over the Bible and do expository things from all over the place. Um, and we do. Um, uh, we've done Hebrews, Ephesians, Mark, Psalms, Ecclesiastes. And we've ducked all over the place and you just go, oh, what do they just get bored? And it's like, no, actually one of the things that shapes the way, one of the principles that shapes the way that we uh, choose what we're going to preach on, I mean, obviously we think about where the church is up to, but the other thing that we, uh, um, that we base our decision on is doing a different literature type in the Bible so that when you read the Bible, you learn a little bit about how to read it. So we've done Psalms, we've done Genesis, which is an Old Testament narrative, uh, we've done wisdom literature, which is Ecclesiastes. Uh, we've done a gospel. We've done a New Testament epistle. We did Acts. Do you, you get what I'm saying? And that's intentional because we actually want you to get more skilled at reading Scripture. And the way that you get more skilled at reading Scripture is when you preach. One of the ways is by preaching expository sermons where you listen to preachers understanding a text in that particular literature type. All good? The danger of it is... Um, well, it's not really a danger, but it's just one, one of the things to be mindful of is that you can get to passages of Scripture that don't line up as well with our current cultural situation as other ones do. And uh, that can be really hard work. 
when you get a scripture where the current situation of the people of the project and the Bible kind of line up pretty well, that's awesome, right? But sometimes they don't quite line up and then other times they're kind of over here. Um, so classic case is the uh, back end of Hebrews. Um, there is a lot of really cool stuff in there about the sacrificial system. But that just got really hard work for us when we we're preaching through that to bring that to application for people in, uh, in our culture. So um, that's expository. I'll scoot through. Topical. Topical is uh, basically where you've got a topic. Um, and this is, in terms of all preaching that goes on in churches, this would be the most common. You grab text from throughout Scripture to preach on a particular issue uh, like why the church uh, we're grabbing scriptures from all over the place um, and, and tying it together to, um, to hammer out a particular issue. Uh, there are topical sermons in the Bible. Uh, you'll find those. Uh, topical sermons typically are easier to, to apply. They look at the topic across all of scripture. They're able to more directly address issues. The big danger of topical sermons is that the preacher imports their ideas into the text instead of the text shaping what's, what actually gets said. So... We will most of the time do expository sermons um, because we just want the text to speak to us and we want to just avoid that danger. But we also know that there are times where it's really helpful to, to do some topical stuff. Here's the last one. Um, textual. Uh, and textual is, is basically where um, it's kind of... Uh, each sermon works through a Bible passage, but the Bible passage is chosen, uh, rotate around a particular theme. Um, so it enables you to link themes across scriptures allows preachers to cover critical themes um, it's a shorter series uh, it doesn't deal as well with context and arguments of scripture so we've actually got a textual series coming up on eternity in term two all right pretty pumped about that one so we're going to do some stuff on end times uh, resurrected bodies eternal rewards we're going to be grabbing passages of Scripture and working through those. So if you love that kind of stuff, you could start telling your friends, asking them this question, are you ready for the end of time? Oh, you're not? You need to come to the project. Wear a sandwich board, whatever you need to do, okay, to make that happen. So the, um, we're going to be most of the time on the left, um, but we'll do some topical and we'll do a bit of textual as well to, uh, to keep you on your toes. Uh, what can you do? Here's a couple of... Here's four things you can do and this is where I'm finishing. Um, here's the first one. Uh, double check what you hear. <laughs> uh, Acts 17, verse 10 and 11. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived and went into the Jewish synagogue, um, when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Now, who were they examining? Well, just the guy who was inspired to write a whole bunch of the New Testament. These guys are buff, right? And so they're just, okay, Paul, we hear you, but we're going to go away and we're going to do the work and make sure that that's legit. And uh, here's the kicker. We, we want you to do that in the project. Go away. Is this, is this legit? Is this what God's saying? And then, if it is, you have to do it. You have to do it. Here's the uh, second one. Be good soil 
for the word. Now, I, I have heard lots of times, this is, like, this is probably one of the coolest things that I ever hear to do with preaching. And it's this, someone will go to like a, listen to a sermon and it's a shocker, right? Terrible. Like, you just go, I don't even know what that was, but I could have been pulling weeds in my garden, that would have been better than that. Um, and, and you just go, what on earth is going... And, and then you get really convicted, right? Because someone just up the road from you just goes, oh, God just really spoke to me through that verse. <laughs> have you ever had that? And, and what it tells you straight away, when that happens, is um, that soil has a lot to do with what happens with the Word of God. And if you actually are good soil for the Word and you're in a good place with God, you can probably get something out of every sermon. My dad always told me that if the sermon's bad, just read your Bible. <laughs> and everyone will think you're holy. It's like, oh, they're checking this out. They're like the Bereans. It's like, no, I'm in Psalm 23 because I don't know what this Ecclesiastic stuff is. And That's what we're doing here, teaching you fear of man. We love to do that. Uh, three, here's a good one. Uh, don't go to bed late Saturday night. All right, that's fair enough, right? I mean, if the word's important and that's what God says and preaching's important, come to church on Sunday morning fresh. Do what you need to do. It may not be going to bed early on Saturday night, but just do what you need to do to come to church fresh on uh, Sunday mornings. Here's the last one kind of connected to that. Um, just encourage you to um, have a clear headspace on Sunday mornings. There's some things that you can do. I mean, we don't, don't do all of these in our house, but let me give you a few ideas. You could put worship music on on Sunday morning before you come to church. I, uh, as a kid, I just went, I thought of actually having a devotion or sitting down and reading scripture and praying before church on Sunday morning. It's like, that is just, why would I do that? It's just a dumb thing to do, right? Because I'm just about to get two hours of it. <laughs> but it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Like even if you just dip your toe in the water, you just read some scripture and pray. And, um, we'd like to get better at letting you know where we're going to be going in terms of scriptures on Sunday morning. A really cool thing for you to do, and we need to pick up our act, my act, in terms of communicating what we're preaching on. But uh, when we get back to an expository series, and probably we'll do this next term with the textual series we're going to do, uh, we'll let you know what the scripture passage is going to be beforehand. That would be a good scripture passage for you to read in the week leading up to it. Pray about it. Seek the Lord on it. Um, what about this one? You could just have, make a blanket ban in your house and just say there is no technology on Sunday mornings before church. None. Turn it off. We're just going to get some clear headspace Sunday mornings so that we can hear God. We can hear what he's got to say.